What a beautiful, beautiful time of worship today and worship in the Word. Andrew, thank you. And I love singing that scripture today. That was uh, just awesome. Are you glad to be in God's house today? Amen. Amen. So am I. And I invite you to open your Bible, look with me to the wonderful book again of Philippians. And we are in chapter number four today. We're in Philippians last week. It was a part of our reading plan and also a part of our reading plan for this week. And so today we are in chapter number four. And so I encourage you to find your copy of God's Word and look with me to Philippians chapter four. And we're going to begin, and I encourage those online to have your Bible at home also and follow along in your copy of God's Word, Philippians chapter 4, beginning with verse number 1. So then, my dearly loved and longed for brothers and sisters, my joy and crown, in this manner stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. This is a theme from the apostle. And he's saying, I want you to stand firm. I want you to stand firm in the Lord. Stand strong in your faith. Hold on to what you believe. And don't be, don't be wishy-washy in your faith. Stand firm in Christ. But the second point in this letter that is also a theme begins with verse 2. We not only need to stand firm in the Lord, but stand together in the Lord. In verse 2, I urge Yodia and I urge Sintiki to agree in the Lord. Yes, I also ask you, true partner, to help these women who've contended for the gospel at my side, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again. Rejoice. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Don't worry about anything. But in everything through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God and the peace of God that surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever's just, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's commendable, if there's any moral excellence, if there's anything praiseworthy, Dwell on these things. Do what you've learned and received and heard from me and seen in me. And the God of peace will be with you. Amen. Father in heaven, I thank you so much for your word. It's so powerful and it's so liberating. And Father, I pray that today as we hear this instruction from the Apostle Paul, the Lord, that you would help us to apply it in our own lives today. And the Father, that we would experience the peace of God 
in our hearts and in our minds. Lord, the concerns and cares and worries of this life want to seize our attention. They want to distract us and pull our thoughts toward them and all the what-ifs of life. But Father, I pray that today we'll be encouraged to lift our eyes and look on you. And remember all the ways that you've taken care of us and all the ways you promised that you would take care of us and all the great plans that you have for us in Jesus Christ. Lord, you do hold all things together. You are in control. And we trust in you. In Jesus' name, amen. We live in a world of high anxiety and worry and anxiousness and an anxious nervousness that makes us uneasy and restless and fearful. We spend thousands and thousands, billions on medications, vacations, therapy, gym memberships, vitamins, and whatever else is being sold on the internet to give us peace. We buy recreational toys and we're trying to alleviate the haunting anxiety that is ever present. Worry takes all kinds of different forms and leads to all kinds of tragic results. So what is the source of our worry? What is the source of our high anxiety? The Apostle Paul is dealing with this in the fourth chapter. And he says, don't be anxious for anything, but everything with prayer and supplication and with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Don't you need the peace of God in your heart and in your mind? Taking care of it. You know what? God's not given us a spirit of fear, but of love and power and a sound mind. Paul is writing to the church in Philippi. He's writing from Rome. He's not writing from the Hilton. He's not writing from a vacation spa. He is not writing from, he is writing from a prison cell. He's writing a prison letter, one of the four prison letters. He's writing to this wonderful church that he dearly loves, and he's writing to encourage them. It's a close, personal relationship that Paul has with his church. We read about the founding of this church in the 16th chapter of Acts, and we understand that this church was a beautiful church, a great relationship together with the Apostle Paul. When we look in chapter number one, listen to his words. I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you. He said, when I think about you, remember you, he says, I, I, just, I just break out in thanksgiving to God. And then he says in verse 4, chapter 1, verse 4, always praying with joy for all of you in my every prayer. He said, when I'm praying, I'm just overflowed with joy with you, thinking about you. And he says, verse 5, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day into now, he says, I can't help but remember all the ways we partnered together in the gospel 
And it just fills me with overwhelming joy. Huh. Notice in chapter 1, verse 6, he says, I'm sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. I'm thinking and knowing and believing great things for you. He's writing to the church. He says, it's right for me to think this way about all of you because I have you in my heart. You're all partners with me in grace, both in my imprisonment and the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how deeply I miss all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Boy, there's a loving relationship with the Apostle Paul and this church in Philippi. Notice he says in chapter number 4, verse 15 and 16, notice the relationship. And you Philippians know that in the early days of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you alone. He said, you've been unlike any other church. For even in Thessalonica, you sent gifts for my need several times. He says, not only do I have you in my heart, but I think that I'm in your heart. And you have blessed me, taken care of me, and ministered to me. There's this warm and affection that's in this whole letter. And he's writing to them, stand firm and stand together and rejoice in the Lord. And don't get off. Don't. Go down the wrong path. Stay right there with the Lord. So Paul is writing this great encouraging letter. And he's writing it to the church at Philippi. It's a letter that's encouraging them. And yet he knows there are some threats that could sidetrack them. And one of them might be that they would get crossways with one another. So, in chapter number four today, we're going to look at some of the ways that we experience this peace of God in our daily living. It's very practical, and we're going to look at it today together. First of all, he says, if you're writing it down, number one, value relationships, all right? So, point number one is what? Let's say it all together. Point number one is what? That's right. If you're going to experience God's peace in your heart and your mind, you need to focus on valuing what? Exactly. So this, he gives us something very personal and quite an insight. Can you imagine this letter coming from the apostle Paul and the whole church gathers together? Hey, we've got a letter and it's from Rome and it's from Paul and we're going to be reading it. Together as a church today, and everybody gathers together, and they're all sitting in the congregation, and all of a sudden, two of the women's names get said out loud in the letter. In verse number two, I urge Euodia and Syntyche to agree in the Lord. <laughs> Do you think that got their attention and everybody else's attention? He says, value the relationship. In chapter 1, verse 27, he said, be together in one mind, one spirit, striving together. Value the relationship. In Colossians 2, it says, have your relationships knit together in love. 
What he's saying is live in harmony. Get along with one another. He urges these two women. We don't know much about them. Here's what we do know about them. He says they contended for the gospel at my side. Verse number two. Verse number three. He says they fought these two specific women. Yodia and Sintiki, there was some trouble between them. And a disagreement had come between these two women. And this disagreement was threatening to spread within the whole church and cause a problem in the church. And this, they weren't, weren't, they're not in harmony with, uh, with one another. Instead, there's a rift between them, which is causing dissonance in the life of the church and conflict. And it hurts the whole church. Before, previously, he said, they had stood by my side. And we fought together for the gospel in taking the good news of Jesus Christ. But now, these two women are at odds with each other. And it's began to affect the whole church. In one of the churches where I pastored, it was a very small church. It was a mission church. And in that mission church, there were two wonderful women, and they were, couldn't be more radically different from each other. But they were fighting together for the gospel in so many ways. But because of their cultural differences, one was a southerner from rural Kentucky, small town, heavy, thick accent, grew up in southern Baptist churches all of her life. The other grew up as a Roman Catholic Italian American in the south part of Chicago. Their language, their culture, their background couldn't be more different. And some of those things got in the way. And they got divided with each other. The last thing a church plant needs is a rift between two leading people in the church. It threatens the whole church. Well, I, I, I think that this thing, I don't, we don't have the details about it, but what Paul is saying is, he says, value these relationships, be in harmony with one another, live together, strive together. And when a church gets divided, it threatens the church. Has anybody ever been in a church that had division problems? Energy is lost, creativity is lost. And the focus and energy goes in the inward struggle rather than the fighting the enemy. Folks, our enemy's not one another. It's a world that's lost, that needs Christ and Satan's hold on them. A world that is being deceived by the lies of darkness. And it's time for us to let the light of Jesus Christ shine. Can you imagine Drew coaching a football team? Or the quarterback... didn't like the halfback and said, I'm not going to give it to him because I don't like him. Or can you imagine a quarterback says, I will not throw the ball to that receiver because I can't stand that receiver. Or imagine the lineman decides that he's not going to block for that running back. Or imagine... What would happen to a team like that? Well, it would be completely dysfunctional. It would be completely ineffective. Now the enemy is not the people on the other side of the line, but it's within the huddle itself. 
Well, that's what happens in a church that gets divided with one another. The fight's in the huddle and not against the enemy. My friends, we understand that we have a real enemy in this world. And it's not one another. Let's fight the good fight. I one time knew a mother who went to her daughter's soccer games. And because one of the other soccer players on her daughter's team got more press and more accolades than her daughter that she thought should be better, anytime that other player touched the ball, the soccer ball, she was cheering against her on her own team. Well, that's sick. It's wrong. It's unhealthy. And yet it happens in churches. And it's sick. And it's wrong. And it's unhealthy. And it's dishonoring to God. Jesus says, and he's in his high priestly prayer, one of the holiest places to go to in all of Scripture, where Jesus is praying to us, for us. In John's Gospel, chapter number 17, verse number 11, I'm no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I'm coming to you, Holy Father, Protect them by your name that you've given me so that they may be one as we are one. Do you hear the heart of our Savior? Notice in John 17, verse number 20. I pray not only for these, but also for those who believe in me through their word, that they all may be one as you, Father, in me, and I am in you. May they also be in us that the world may believe you sent me. Jesus is praying for unity because unity glorifies God. Unity is good for us, and unity validates the very message that we are preaching. But when we preach a message of reconciliation and we refuse to be reconciled one to another, then who would believe our message? It's not believable because it's not lived out. We're to love God and love one another. Amen. And when you do, then it validates the very message that we are preaching. Amen. Romans chapter 12, verse 18 says, if, if it is possible as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Now, what Paul says in Romans, he says, as far as it depends on you. Sometimes they refuse. Sometimes you, you can't make them be reconciled to you. But with all that you have, and with every honest fiber of your spiritual being, and all the things that are in your control, you do all you can to be at peace with one another. Fight for the relationship. Don't burn them. Don't throw them away. Now, I'm going to meddle for a moment. Some of us grew up in dysfunction. We grew up in so much dysfunction, it feels normal. We grew up in homes and families for generations that fight with each other, squabble with each other, pout 
don't speak to one another, hold grudges against one another. We just feel like life's not right if we don't have some drama going on. And we carry that drama off into our family relationships and we take sides and we coddle hurts and we burn relationships. And some of you know this is true. And sometimes if you, have, if you look into your family and in your relationships and in your neighbors and your own children and your own siblings, your brothers and your sisters and your family, and you have a string of people that you no longer talk to, then we need to examine, is the issue them? Or is it in me too? I'm telling you, the gospel changes us down deep where we value our relationship with God and with each other. Secondly, we need to promote unity. Not only live in harmony, but promote unity. Now notice what he says in Philippians chapter 4. I ask you, true partner... The word partner here uh, might be translated in your Bible, yoke fellow, comrade. Who is this? I don't know. We, don't not, we can't say with complete certainty who it is. It, it may be an elder that's there in the church, a trusted elder. It, it may be, it's somebody that the church recognizes as an authority and also is trusted. And he's a partner and has partnered with the apostle. There are some think that Dr. Luke himself might be who he's referring to. He says, I ask you, true partner, help these women. He said, these women need help, brother. Help them. Folks, I think it's important for us to promote unity with each other. And sometimes stuff happens and a little rift or a little hurt happens, um, sometimes it's a bigger hurt, it happens, but here's what Paul's saying. He's saying, listen, true comrade, yoke fellow, work to help these women get it fixed. And that's what we need to do. The problem is, sometimes we don't help, but we also add fuel to the fire in these kinds of things. And that's not the mature way to do it. He says, listen, are you, and so the question is, are you helping? Are you helping? If there's a problem, are you helping fix it? By helping doesn't mean you're taking sides. That's not it. Not listening to gossip and then repeating that gossip to other people. No. And somebody comes to you with a true injury, a true hurt, then you hear that. And when you hear it, then you ask them, have you gone to this person? Have you talked it out with them? Have you met with them one-on-one? -on -one? Have you shared what you're feeling here? Have you shared how this what has happened and how there's become a hurt or a division. Why would I let that become a root of bitterness? No, 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 no. Seize the moment. Go quickly and be reconciled. And then if they need help, you go with them. I'll go with you. That's what you say. Let's go together. I'll go with you. And don't, 
Don't just listen to gossip and that somebody, you, the, here's what we do. We go around and we want to tattle to everybody else on somebody else. Look, look, I'm going to tattle. I want to tell on them. I'm a victim here. That is, doesn't fix it. Are you listening to me today? Amen. What fixes it was when you go and you be reconciled. Amen? Pray with them. Pray with the person that's injured and say, let's go together. Let's pray for the one we're going to talk with. Let's go together. Let's fix this. Let's don't run away. I'm just going to leave. I'm running away and I'm just going to go join another church. Come on. This is not right. We are the family of God. Don't pretend it'll just go away. It won't. Let's deal with it. Humble yourselves on God's hand. Humble yourself before the Lord. Humble yourself with that person. And focus on forgiveness. Just as God in Christ has forgiven you, you forgive them. Amen. We need each other. Tell your neighbor, we need each other. Come on, tell them. We need each other. Finally, brothers and sisters, 2 Corinthians 13, 11. Finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice. Become mature. Be encouraged. Be of the same mind. Be at peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Amen. Number two, rejoice always. I love that. Notice in Philippians, you want to experience the peace of God in your living. First of all, value the relationships. Secondly, rejoice always. Say it with me. What's the second point? Good. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says, rejoice always. What hinders joy and rejoicing? First of all, sin always hinders rejoicing. When you're disobedient to God, it steals the joy right out of your heart. Some of you don't have any joy in your life, and I know this because I've done it myself. I don't, Tim doesn't have any joy in his life when I got one foot trying to be planted in the gospel and another foot planted in the world. And when I began to compromise in my own life with the world's values and disobedience toward God, has anybody in this room ever been disobedient to God? Raise your hand. rest of you just lying, all right? We all have. Let me tell you what happens when you disobey God. It steals your joy. Amen. Every time. It steals your joy. It takes it away from your heart. That's what disobedience to God does. You have your foot. You, it's, it's rebellion against him and his word. This is what God made you. God made you that you might be his sons and daughters and know the joy of the Lord. But here's the deal. Now, stay with me. False gods are liars. They're not truly gods. And when you think my security is found, my happiness is found in these pursuits, that somehow these pursuits are going to supply what God only can supply. 
Maybe it's money. Maybe it's an adventure. Maybe it's a position. Maybe it's a sexual experience. Maybe it's whatever that thing is you think is going to supply that for you. It can't supply it because it's a false God. And God would not allow it to supply it in your life because He is your life. He is your strength. He's your joy. And He is your security. And He's the meaning of ground of meaning for your life. So we lie to ourselves. We think, well, if I only had this, then I'll be happy. I remember as a teenager, if I could only, if I could only get my driver's license, then I would be happy. If I only had a car, I would be happy. If I could only get that girl to look at me, I'd be happy. If I could get that girl to go out with me, I would be happy. If I could ever get out of high school, I'd be happy. If I could ever leave home, I would be happy. If I could ever get married, I'd be happy. If we could ever have children, I'd be happy. If the children would ever leave, I'd be happy. We'll always think it's somewhere out there. Your happiness is found in Jesus Christ. Amen. The one that holds you. What hinders my joy? Of course, broken relationships, fear and doubt and worry. What steals your joy? Unconsoled grief. We all have losses and grief and hurt. Lost expectations and disappointments in life. But we don't grieve like the world. We grieve with hope. Because we have a Savior. How can I rejoice then in all things? I can rejoice in all things. Listen to me today. Because the one who sits on the throne sits on the throne. And he knows all things. And he controls all things. And he makes all things right. And he always judges rightly. And he works all things together for my good. And he never makes mistakes. He is sovereign and wise and good. He is. And in this world you have troubles. But he has overcome the world. He is the source of our joy. Rejoice. What does he say? Paul says rejoice. How? In the what? Lord. It's in the Lord. John 15, 11 says, I've told you these things that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. The source of the joy is in the Lord. There's a legend told about Lawrence of Arabia who went to Paris with a bunch of his men and they were looking at all of the delights and beauties of Paris, France. And one of the things they were most enamored with is inside of the hotel and the house, the manses, there was faucets with running water. And being from Arabia, they thought, Wow, that is nice. When they were leaving, some of the not-so-bright men that he brought with him were trying to dismantle some of the faucets and take it with them. 
They said if we could take these to Arabia, we wouldn't have to worry about being dry in the desert all the time. Well, the foolishness of that is it's got to be connected to a water source. There's some of you who want the faucets, but you aren't connected to the source. And the source of your joy is in the Lord. It's in him. That's where the joy comes. That's where the life comes. It's in him. Now I want to give you something very practical. Listen to me. It says rejoice in the Lord. And again I say rejoice. 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 Paul makes this emphatic. First of all, you say, Brother Tim, how do I do that? I just don't feel the joy. Number one, I want you to start listing the blessings of God in your life. Now, I want you to get a piece of paper and a journal. Do it today. I want you to start writing down some of the ways that God's blessed your life. How many of y'all can think of one thing that God has blessed your life with? Raise your hand. How many of y'all can think of two? All right. How many of you can think of three? All right. Let's think. Would you write those down? I want you to make a list of all the ways God has blessed your life. Think of them. And then I want you to rehearse them. I want you to go over them and say, God has blessed me like this. God has blessed me like that. God has blessed me here. God has blessed me with this. And then I want you to speak them. Speak of the blessings of God. So I want you to tell a friend, your children, or your wife, your husband, hey, you know what? I was thinking about all the ways God's blessed us. Let me tell you what they are. And just tell them to each other. And then would you tell me what you... And let's share the blessings with each other. Count your many blessings. Name them one by one. You know what? When you do that, it will amaze you at all the things that God's done in your life. Just like that little song says, that hymn. You know what? We count them and we share them. And not only do you speak them, but I want you to do something else. I want you to sing them. Sing about the goodness of God. Sing about the blessings of God. And this is what begins to happen. This is why corporate worship and personal worship is so important. When I begin to lift my voice and fill my mouth with the praises of God and my lips and begin to utter back to him all the ways that he has blessed me and bring praise to his name, the words that are in my mouth will also be in my heart. When I don't feel like singing, then sing. And when you don't feel like praising, then praise. And let God do a work of changing your old crusty heart into a live heart. Amen. Number three, forbear others. Now that's a weird word. What's that mean? Notice what he says, let your graciousness be known to everyone, the Lord is near. So the translation I'm reading today says, let your graciousness be known to all men. The New American Standard says, let your forbearance, forbear, your forbearance, your spirit of forbearance be known to all men. The Christian Standard Bible says graciousness. The King James Version says moderation. The New English Bible says your magnanimity. Wycliffe said your patience. 
What he's saying is, forbearance means to bear a load. It means going beyond the letter of the law. It means going beyond justice. It means willing to bear the load of another's wrongs or burdens. To give more than the benefit of the doubt to another. It means to care for them. To forbear means to bear part of the weight with them. You see, forbearance means you go the second mile, not just the first. Forbearance means when they ask you for your coat, you give them your cloak also. Forbearance means not eating meat if it causes another to stumble. Forbearance means I might not drink that if it causes another to stumble. Forbearance may mean in a Muslim culture you don't eat pork because you don't want them to stumble and you want the gospel to be heard. Forbearance means when I'm with Jews, I live like a Jew. And when I'm with Greeks, I live like Greek so that I might win some, all. Forbearance. It means I'm not fighting for my rights. I'm fighting at every turn so that you might be right and to help you. The Christian life is not about me. The Christian life is about God and me dying to self and living for Christ. Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and delivered himself up for me. Why do I do this? Let your forbearance, let your gentleness, let your patience be known to all. Why? Because the Lord, the Lord is near. <laughs> the Lord is right here. The Lord is with us. The Lord is right. Tell your neighbor, the Lord's near. He's right here, and he's coming again. Praise God, this is not as good as it gets. King Jesus is coming. Man, let's live for him. 1 Corinthians 13, 7 says, Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. That's love. Ephesians 4.2 says, bearing with one another in love, forbearance. Colossians 3.13 says, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a grievance against another, just as the Lord has forgiven you, you so forgive them. This week I was counseling a Christian worker, well known in many broad circles and evangelical world. We spent about an hour together and he unloaded great, deep, personal injury in his life. As he shared with me about being lied about and slandered, misunderstood, misrepresented, and hurt. And his wife 
with tears, talked about the hurt they've endured. And that the things that he knows that he can't share with everyone else. And I was able to look at that brother and say, but the Lord Jesus knows it all. He sees it all. And you can trust him. And there's not one thing that's hidden that won't be made known. And he will put all things right. And I, when you suffer... And when you suffer, you don't have to fight for your own rights and you don't have to fight for your own respect and you don't have to fight so everybody believes you and not them. You don't have to do that. Now listen to me. Listen. And this is a word of counsel I gave to him and I know it was from the Spirit of God. I said, when you suffer like that, you are suffering rightly. You make sure we are right. And if you suffer... Well, Jesus himself, while being reviled, reviled not in return. When, being, when they uttered threats, he did not return threats. But he kept entrusting himself to the one who judges rightly. And you're never more like Jesus than when you suffer and you bear it and you trust God. And you bear it because you love the people that even are turning against you. That's different than what the world teaches. Amen? Amen. The Lord is near. He's near you. He's with you. He'll help you. I'm out of time and four more points to go. But you know what? I'm going to wrap it up with this last point. <laughs> he finally says, resist worry. Do not be anxious. Resist worry. Now listen, the source of worry is your doubt and your fear. When you don't trust God, then you worry. When you do trust God, then you have peace. Don't give in to worry. Do not be anxious for anything. But in everything with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. What's the source of worry? Well, it's when God kind of goes out of the equation. That's why we worry. But the antidote to worry is faith and prayer. I've hinted at some of these stories before, and I'll, I'll tell it one again. Many years ago, when I was just a teenager, and I was a teenage preacher, and I went to Jamaica on a mission trip for a summer. And while I was there, I had a lot of wonderful, glorious things happened to me, but I got very homesick. Secondly, I got sick with dysentery, and I mean, I was sick. I won't describe it, but it was not pretty. And I was sick for part of the time. And then I was in a whole different culture, a whole different world, and I was just, just a boy, really a teen, uh, 17, 
18 years old, 17 years old. And so I, I, I remember some glorious, wonderful things happened, but I also some fearful things happened. We were stopped and accosted by some Rastafarians. I don't know if you know what they are, but Rastafarians have long braided hair and they're very radical and, and they hate the, the British colonization and all of that. And so they, they, they harassed us and threatened us and rocked our vehicle. And, um, and so uh, that was a frightening thing that happened to me. And then not only that, we were driving through the countryside and some men stopped us and said, do you want, want to buy some grass? Well, they, weren't, they were talking about weed. Do you want to buy some marijuana? Which was illegal there, but abundantly available. And of course, we didn't want to buy any weed or grass. One of the guys driving said, no, we're all corn-fed. And so anyway, it was a, his farmer joke. Anyway, well, we drove a little bit further down the road and went into a little village, and we got stopped by the police. And they said, do you got any marijuana in your car? And they searched the whole car for weed. Now, don't you think it's quite a coincidence that the guys down the road were selling it, and then the cops were stopping us to check us out for it? God watches over stupid people, including us. My fears were at an ebb tide in my life. At 17, we're out in a village singing late at night, tambourine shaking. Only white faces were out, the few of Americans that were there, about five of us. The whole little church house, concrete block church house out in the middle of the jungle, and black faces and white eyeballs all looking through the windows. And they started singing this song. Why worry when you can pray? Trust Jesus. He'll be your stay. And then one of those ladies slapped a mosquito on the side of my arm. And it's just like God slapped me. And then he says, why worry? When you can pray. Trust Jesus. He'll be your stay. Don't be like doubting Thomas. Rely upon his promise. Why worry, 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 worry. When you can pray. Whew. I haven't forgot that little song. And I have to sing it to myself every once in a while. Don't be anxious. But in everything with prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Good word, isn't it? Father in heaven, I thank you for your word. It's powerful. It's true. It's so liberating, Father. I pray that, Father, that today, if there's one person that's not in the Lord, doesn't know Jesus as their Savior, that today 
they might come and confess Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, repent of sin and put their faith in Jesus and say, God and Father, I've, I've, my life's been filled with worry. My life's filled with wreck. My life is filled with trying to find happiness and joy and everything else. And God, I'm coming to you today. And I'm saying, God, I'm trusting in Christ, turning from my sin. And I believe that you're the Lord. And I want you, King Jesus, to be the Lord of my life. Here's my life. I surrender to you. Oh, Father, I pray that prayers are being prayed like that today. In Jesus' name, amen.